yes. Hello, and welcome to this chaotic early morning episode of DMs After Dark, uh, part of our Meet the DM series where this lovely morning I get to hang out with Troy. What's up? Yeah, what's up, Sarah? I'm excited. This is this is one of those fun pairings I keep joking about because like we have seen each other in person maybe twice maybe in passing at the library (laughs) yeah yep yep that's true so this is one of those instances where we you know other than dms after dark we don't really know too much about each other so this will be a great experience and hopefully i can give you some ammunition to uh uh, use against amber so oh that's fun perfect some deep dark secrets yes (laughs) the the real motivation we did coordinate a little bit ahead of time because everybody else had these bougie like drink pairings and stuff like that so sarah and i decided you know what it's 10 30 or 9 30 in the morning and we're gonna have angry orchard together because we're adults so so <laughs> yep cheers we are just chaotic drinking <sighs> good shit is in the system so um i got some of these from rainy i pulled some of these from my own interview so it's just a mishmash of questions so um, what game got you into RPGs in the first, like tabletop RPGs in the first place? Yeah, so um, I think for me, uh, my my kind of adventure into RPGs was a little, um, I, it was almost like destined from from a very young age. So the very first role playing game that we ever played was um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, 3.5. But even before that, um, I remember when I was really young, uh, Amber and I, we always would, um, we would very literally like role play, like just games, like in the backyard and stuff. So we would, whether it was, we would pretend we were like these animorphs or like, or, or come up with these like cards that we would write like these imaginary stats on. And we would just like run around the yard with sticks and shit. You had stats? Yeah, yeah, we I remember, uh, I don't remember what the game was, uh, or, you know, characters specifically, but shit, I was young, we were, I must have been eight, nine, ten, somewhere in that ballpark. But yeah, we would just like pretend we were like superheroes and come up with like powers and stuff. And I think that kind of, like I said, I think that kind of sparked our, our passion for role playing at a very young age. Once we found D&D, it kind of just formalized and created a structured system for what we were already, you know, pretending or doing with our imaginations. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember I had a, uh, I had one, one guy when we would, you know, pretend we were like these anamorph like people. And I always wanted to be able to do everything. Like Amber was like, I'm going to turn into a wolf. I'm like, cool. I'm a bug guy. I turn into any bug. And she's like, that's broken. And I'm like, shut up. I'm a brain mantis. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> you do not say stupid. I didn't say stupid. Yes, you did. Lots. <laughs> oh, okay, sir. Go hang out out there. Daddy's busy. <laughs> you can say hi really quick, and then you gotta go. Say hi to the interweb. Hi, interweb. Bye. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, D and D three point five was the first. Uh, and that was the first role-playing game that we've ever played. Um, our grandfather and grandmother had bought us the player's handbook. Aww. Uh, and I think the monster manual maybe um, were the two books that they bought us to kind of start. 
uh yeah and then from there everything else was everything else was just downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> it's a down- downhill uphill right it's just perspective that's all it is it's a roller coaster it's fine that's true. It's so true. do you do you remember the first character you made when you played 3.5 originally? You know, I um I don't remember my very first character, unfortunately. Like I said, I was really young. We kind of got into it. Um our friend Kyle uh at the time, who was uh Amber's age, who was a few years older than us, he had started playing with his uh, I think his cousin Evan. Um, they they had kind of gotten into it a little bit and then he introduced it to us. So um, I, I was seriously, I remember bringing D&D books to school in second grade. So I was oh, eight, seven shit. or eight years old and I tried to get like a game going in, in school and stuff. So I was very, very young. I don't remember my first character, but I do have, um, I would say my first memorable character the first character that I can remember and kind of a trope that I played from then on was a uh, dwarven fighter named Colgrum Bordock that was his name that's powerful for like a second grader yeah yeah and he always had you know stereotypical dwarven fighter he had an axe and a shield and um, I always tried to just like dump as much points into armor class as I could tried to you know I'm just gonna carry a tower shield because why not like you know just stupid shit and a buckler on my other arm because you know who's gonna stop you I don't need to be able to hit anything I'm just a tank it's fine fine so uh yeah that's the first character that I kind of really remember but I remember I also remember being inspired by D&D I tried to write this like small book I guess in like second grade so as you could imagine what that would be like but there was one part I I don't even remember too much we'd have to ask Amber uh but I remember something about like they were going somewhere on a quest and the carriage broke away from them and ran one of them over (laughs) it was like this grievous injury one of them was run over by a carriage (laughs) because you know that's what you do in second grade you're like this is how things happen exactly (laughs) <laughs> so so i guess going from the, the chaotic book do you remember the first game you ran or like mm-hmm. when you started running well i know amber had started uh dming first for sure um she was a few years older than me she had a little bit better of a grasp of the concepts and stuff like that um hmm first time i dm'd that's a great question God, it's I'm tricky like trying one, to, right i'm trying to like dig through the ages i'm trying to remember when i was like eight i think um hmm. i'm positive that i had i'm positive that i had run some um i had dm'd some games before but they couldn't have been for any extended period of time or any long campaigns or anything like that. Um, the first campaign that I like really remember um, running would have been uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I started running a campaign for um, for my other friend group, which was um, Rainy and uh, Lynn and a couple other friends, Ed, Mike, all these people. And that was Rainy's first uh, introduction to D&D. Uh, hold but I, on I did not realize you and Rainy knew each other that long 
Oh yeah. This, yeah. I, is... I met Rainy. Um, I met Rainy when I was probably in like 10th grade, 10th or 11th what? grade. Yeah. So, yeah. So we've known each other for quite some time. Lynn is actually my second cousin or no, she's my first cousin once removed. That's her, right. her grandfather was my grandmother's brother. And we didn't, we didn't know that until, uh, after we were all friends. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, wow, that's crazy. But yeah, that was the first campaign. The first like campaign that was any extended period of time that I remember running. Um, and man, that was a great, that was a good campaign. That was a good experience. It was their first shot in D and D too. So yeah. Yeah. Was it like uh was it 3.5? Was it? Yep. It was still a 3.5. So yeah. Yeah. Which for those of you that aren't familiar with D and D, um, you know, I think as much as some of us kind of dog on 5e, um, it did do a good job of simplifying and kind of getting rid of some of the um, some of the unnecessary like muck and mire that 3.5 had. Um, but 3.5 will always be kind of like a, a, my first, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it has a special significance, but it was kind of crunchy and it was a, it was focused on, you know, min maxing and all these feats and building character arcs way ahead of time and that kind of stuff. So, um, and it could definitely get broken pretty easily, but, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Like for, for folks with Pathfinder experience, Pathfinder is based on the 3.5 system. And yeah. The first, the first one, right. Or maybe yes. both. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about Pathfinder second edition, but I know first, I know that one is based on the, the old 3.5s. Yeah. Yep. And now it's its yeah. own chaotic monster. <laughs> yeah i haven't played pathfinder yet i uh i'd like to it's so. it's it's good you have experience at 3.5 so you'll be fine uh yeah. i who have very little experience at 3.5 have been stumbling my way through it for most of my years playing it but fair enough fair enough yeah so uh what is your i can't say best because it's hard to remember but like what are your favorite moments dming that you remember that's such a good question, Sarah. I feel like, um, so for me, uh, I think when I first started playing D&D, um, I was very much about the, you know, numbers and coming up with the most overpowered character that I could and trying to break the system and stuff like that. So I was definitely a, a, a uh, what do they call those? Power gamer. I was a power gamer for sure. Yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure really when that went away. And eventually it almost turned into like a aversion to power gaming where like I try to create characters that are now completely conceptual and like it's better if they actually suck because it's more interesting to play characters like that. Um, but for me, RPGs are, um, they're super important. They're definitely a really important part of my life. I think um, RPGs allow us to kind of experience and express feelings and emotions and those kind of things in a in a different space. You know what I mean? Where it's it's fantasy, so it's safe to think outside the box and do extraordinary things that you you know can't do in real life. Um, as you can tell, like it's important to me. I have like an entire sleeve dedicated yes. to my Shadows of Estrin campaign, so that's something that is again important to me. So I would say my favorite um, role-playing experience my, uh, would probably be probably be our Shadows of Estrin campaign as a whole. Um, 
it's one of those things where we've had, we've been going on for probably almost two years now, I want to say. Um, and it started off as just a, it was supposed to just be a one shot. Um, nobody, uh, well, I think one of us, Jess and, and uh, Amber had played one time at Gen Con. We all did a one shot. And then Chris uh, had never played before. And Ellen had never even role played before. Like she never played Ooh, wow. D&D or anything at all. So this was her first endeavor into role playing. Um, for those of us watching, Ellen was our guest uh, player for Three Raccoons in a Trench Coat. Yes. Um, she's awesome. She's wonderful. Uh, she does a lot of like theater and stuff like that. So she is at least very creative and imaginative, which is clear when she role plays. But um, yeah, we've had some incredible moments in Shadows of Estrian. Um, I think one of the things that I like to focus on as a GM is creating that atmosphere. And I try to do that through imagery, through um, being very vivid and vibrant with my descriptions. Um, I One sec. Yep. We have someone who needs a blankie. You know what? You got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> Problem solved. Oh. Yeah, problem solved. So, um, so yeah, I try, I try to do, I try to create vivid imagery and stuff like that. Um, and the other thing that I really like to do is I like to think of real life problems, um, whether they're like problems that I actually have or things that I've observed in society or problems of like ethical or moral um, issues. And I try to I try to kind of impose that on my world and on my, and in doing so on my players. Right. So we've had some incredible um, sessions where like, we've literally cried like playing, which sounds silly uh, if you've never role played before, or if you're not passionate about it, but um, to create a, to create a role played experience where the emotions are so powerful and where you've established such powerful connections that something like that happens is is pretty incredible it's certainly like the highlight of my experience is role playing um but we've also had like super funny moments too uh you know you have like little inside jokes with your groups that span the years and years yep. and will never go away yep. it's the same it's the same with esterin you know that that was the same so my home group for that has been wonderful um yeah yeah that would be that would be it i would say i also i have kind of a cathartic um view of the D&D 3.5 group that I played with Rainy and the rest of the group because when we got that game going um we were all really close um we you know hung out a lot saw each other a lot and then right as that campaign came to a close it was because I was leaving I was going into the military um my life was changing didn't know if I'd ever really see everybody again on a consistent basis and shortly after that happened I ended up moving to Iowa so it was kind of a, uh, like a farewell almost too. not, I mean, not really. Cause I still talk to everybody, but I don't see everybody anymore. So yeah, so that was a really good experience too. But, but the game kind of came at an important, you know, part of your life and allowed you to have all that before you didn't know. Yeah. And it always seems to, you know what I mean? I, I feel like uh, role-playing games have certainly helped me. I know Rainy talked about one of his players and how he mentioned that you know, afterwards, one of his players told him that like he was in a bad place in his life, whether it was like emotionally or financially, we didn't go into it. But yeah. um, that's certainly uh, true for me. I mean, role playing has 
been something that's been that consistency. Like I said, it's been that safe place to express emotion, um, what you're feeling, um, just all that stuff, just to escape. Sometimes it's just a little bit of a reprieve from reality, which we all need, you know? So, um, yeah, it's either that or, you know, do ecstasy or something. (laughs) Horse tranquilizers. RPGs are slightly cheaper and also not illegal. So, uh, but if you, if you look at Christian and Rady, they are almost as addictive. Uh, That's true. And actually more expensive probably in their case, but it's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. They're, it's fine. You know, Everything's fine. Grown adults, jobs. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I, I totally feel that RPGs is a catharsis. Like one thing that I, I, I heard someone mention it once. And then I realized I've been unconsciously doing it for years is you put a part of yourself that you're trying to work on into a character and kind of like discover that through them. Definitely. Uh, I, I, I can agree with that hundred percent. I, I also, I would also be curious to see what that says about me because I play a lot of really, really outrageous characters. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't realize it till after. And now it's like, I've, I've heard her say this and now I'm like, this has been XYZ has been some consistent themes recently. What am I subconsciously thinking? And why does this make me nervous? Like it, it's not necessarily true for everyone, but it's right. It's interesting. Oh yeah, for sure. I know I've, I, uh, just recently I was driving to work yesterday and I have kind of a long commute. It's like a 50 minute drive to work. So a lot of times I'll listen to a podcast or um, music or whatever. And for whatever reason, I ended up thinking about um, D&D, like back when I played D&D and stuff. And um, I actually thought of a really cool character concept that I would be excited to play for DMs After Dark whenever we do play D&D, which it will happen eventually. So, um, but yeah, I... uh, and that was that was refreshing because I haven't been excited about anything D and D in a long time. So, yeah, I don't want to spoil it though by saying what the what I, the uh, thought process was. So one of the like biggest things that I I would say myself and a bunch of I would say viewers have come to associate you with is Shadows of Esther. Like you're the Esther guy. Um, and they've become yeah. a huge part of your life over the years. Did it just start from that Gen Con game, or where where did it come yeah. from? Yeah, that's the first time that we ever played. That was our first experience to um, Shadows of Esterin. Um, we got to, in addition to playing the game, we also got to meet, uh, you know, and if you've never been to Gen Con before, it's basically like the largest gaming convention in the United States. Um, it's huge. There's like 50, 60,000 people. Um, they rent out the Indianapolis Colts football stadium and LARP <laughs> in it, which I feel like is a total... That's, that's just such a, the most badass like slap to the face. Like, oh, okay, jocks, you threw me in a locker like growing up. Well, guess what? Now I'm LARPing on the Indianapolis Colts' football stadium. So why did um, no one tell me this? I'm the resident yeah. LARPer. Hello. I know. I know. Well, I never got thrown in lockers or anything, but I would imagine there are people that have and casting fireballs at each other in the end zone is probably pretty awesome <laughs> so bad you run but, around swinging a big foam sword you feel fucking powerful it's all I, be- I believe it i believe it i'm not disagreeing at all so um so yeah gen con's this huge massive event and they have vendors from all over the world they have thousands and thousands of different games 
um, you know, er everything that you can imagine. They have guest authors and speakers and um, workshops and all kinds of cool stuff. But so in addition to playing Shadows of Estrin, because it sounded like an interesting game, um, I also got to, you know, visit the booth that had the studio agate team there. And they um, they were showcasing all of their products. So they had, you know, Fate Forge and they had uh, their Vermin game, which is like a future post-apocalyptic game with giant spiders and stuff. Um, and then they had Shadows of Esterin. And uh, I got to meet Nell, who is the uh, creator of Shadows of Esterin and uh, the, um, I guess, founder of Studio Agate. And um, this guy, man, he had he had so much passion for what he was doing. And it was immediately apparent. Like, you could see it from across the room. It was more than just a game or, you know, a financial revenue, you know, for this guy. I mean, he spent uh, 12 years of his life, you know, um, creating and publishing and coming up with the ideas and stuff like that. And he set it into, into being. And when he created this thing, it wasn't just the books. He, he had professional orchestras compose music, compose albums for these books. Um, like one of the, one of the albums that they have, um, they had the Budapest Symphonic Orchestra, like literally fucking make a musical album for Shadows of Esterin. It's crazy. It's insane. They have a, they have like a cookbook, not really a cookbook, but they call it a culinary journey. And it's a three course meal that's inspired by the world of Shadows of Esterin. But like this shit is French and like French people can cook and stuff. So like this thing, it looks wild, right? The way it's presented. Yeah. They have a graphic novel. They have an art book. They have a point click video game. Um, maps, you know, all kinds of lore. They have a novelette. They have all kinds of stuff. It's like incredible how they have a board game. Um, it's just so all encompassing. And uh, it was really, really cool when I got to meet the creator of that. And um, he even, uh, I, Amber was there and Amber had a grant for the library for RPGs. Yep. And I kind of introduced Amber and was like, oh, this is my sister. You know, she, she's starting a role-playing game at, the, at a public library here. And he was like, oh my gosh. He's like, here, just take all like a bunch of these. And he just gave us a bunch of the book zeros. And he's like, take these, like give them to your friends, give them to, you know, put them in the library, whatever. And it was really cool that he just, he just did that, you know? So I reached out like a year ago or so uh, to the company, to Studio Agate. And I was like, hey, I really love your product. Um, I've been playing Shadows of Western for a while. It's a big part of my life. I enjoy it a ton. And uh, I want to support you guys in this endeavor because I would love to be a part of it. I see the kind of work that you've put into it. I see how passionate you are about it. And I want, I want some of that, you know? So, um, so yeah, I reached out to them and now I'm working for them part-time help, helping with sales and stuff like that here in the U S. So it's cool. It's so crazy how that was just such a great adventure, but it makes sense why I'm the shadows of Esterin guy. So. Yeah. And I, and I mean, it's literally, you, you kind of give a quick glimpse. It's literally completely down your arm. Yeah. I have but, a whole sleeve. So what is, I know it's going to be hard to see, but like, what are the parts of the arm? Yeah. So we'll start at the bottom here. So this thing right here, that, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it. That is, uh, that is the shield of uh, one of the characters in my game. Her name is Arvin. And she's like this really badass fighter. 
and she is aspiring to be a knight and uh, she wants to be a Hildura knight. And right now she works for um, the Macleers and that is the symbol of the Macleers that like stag. It's in a weird part of my arm. It's hard to show. It's all good. So, so that's her, that's her shield. That's the, the family, the noble house's crest. Um, the Raven is very, um, very shadows of Esther and like it, it's just, it has that Celtic horror, um, ominous feel, um, everything from like the weather, like the dreary rainy weather to, um, for foreshadowing and foreboding, all of that is like kind of illustrated by the Raven and the Raven has played a pretty important, uh, significant part of my campaigns. Um, this guy right here, the little negative space looks like a little snowflake. Um, that is called a Hexocles and that is the symbol of the temple of the one God, which is kind of one of three main, um, main, I guess, like factions in Shadows of Esterin. So you have the Magiants, which our game was largely based off of. Yep. You have the Temple of the One God, and then you have the Demorathan, which are a more kind of traditional Druidic type of people. Um, here, this eye that goes up my arm up here to this really cool like standing stone. Um, that's actually the cover of Book Zero. Um, so that is the artwork on the cover of book zero. Uh, back here around the back of my arm, um, these like bricks right here in this tree, that is the tree of Dierg, which is the official campaign setting for Shadows of Estrin. So that is actually an image that's in one of the books. And then up here, we have this mask. And this mask is um, symbolic of one of the uh, encounters that my party had with a creature that we uh, eventually deemed the Wraith of Rage. And uh, it was an epic, like epic several sessions where they were being hunted and tracked through this like haunted um, old Magian's fort. And they eventually everything came to a head and they were fighting these Fionns in this like circle, circle of like standing stones. And um, they barely survived but they slew the wraith of rage and when they killed it it crumbled to dust and it left behind this mask that it was wearing and then one of our characters ian essentially grabbed that mask and uh it had it had some pretty cool power behind it um part of part of that is illustrated by ian's bow which goes through the mask right here it represents his character's unique and dangerous connection to the object and then the last part I have so far is this here, which is a string of dowels, which are the currency in Shadows of Esterin. And that has a couple different connotations to it. We have an NPC uh, who we all call G-Money, so that kind of <laughs> represents him. And then we also had our group go to a city called Coscon, and they were there for quite a while. And it's like just the city of like filth and like, like crime and everything. So our characters hid half of their party's money was hid in like Masha's like breasts and the other half was hid in like Ian's balls. <laughs> so, so we called them jingle boobs and jingle balls. It was great. It was awesome. <laughs> this just goes to show that if the game is advertised to dark fantasy, it doesn't have to be the whole time. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's that contrast. It's that juxtaposition that makes it so good. <laughs> jingle boobs and jingle balls. Sometimes uh, that's all you need. <laughs> 
So what is, this one took me forever to, to figure out an answer to, what is a dream game or scenario that you'd love to run but haven't had a chance to yet? That I would love to run? Yeah. I think for me, um, as I mentioned before, so much of role-playing for me is the experience and the atmosphere. So realistically, I would say it probably could be any game as long as I was with a great group of friends. Um, and I would like, I would like it to be in like a crazy, incredible setting. So like, I know they have these like giant castles and shit in Europe that you can like literally rent rooms in and play like D and D in. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but vaguely, it's like a vague, it's like a, you can pay like, I don't know, thousands of dollars or some stupid shit and you can do something like that. So I would love to kind of do something like that with, you know, with a group of good friends, um, maybe play like a shadows of Esther game, um, have all like the, the props and be in this like castle, um, maybe have like drinks inspired by the game or, um, even, you know, like I said, any game really like D and D anything, it doesn't matter what the game is, but I would love to run something in a setting like that. That would be so cool. So cool. So the fucking DMs after dark field goal is <laughs> my bro. <God>. bro. Let's <laughs> go to Europe and play in a castle. That would be amazing. Fly this squad of six idiots out to Europe. <laughs> oh, Europe is not ready. Fine. <laughs> they just lock us in one room to castle. We'll be fine that's true yeah they'd be like you live here now we can't let you out that's fine (laughs) it's it's dangerous to the public (laughs) that's fine that's fine no that's that's fucking awesome though i i I have a hard time like separating atmosphere from system because i'm so used to you know thinking of one game in a certain way and the different game in a different way so like how do you kind of like bring different atmospheres to different games like shift that around you know, I think that's something that um, that's something that's very challenging, especially with um, especially with COVID. You know, in the recent uh, past, uh, it put a real damper for a lot of people on on in game sessions, and I feel like so much of the power and so much of the enjoyment of role playing games comes from that actual com- communion with people. Right? People bring snacks. People hang out, play games. They go in somebody's musky basement. Like it's just part of the charm. You know, they have the dice, the books. Um, So it's so much of communication is physical, right? It's nonverbal. And those things get lost a little bit virtually. Um, Having said that, I mean, I'm, I'm happy and we're fortunate that we have, you know, these options to play virtually because without it, I wouldn't be able to play. Um, But some of that creating that atmosphere, I would say, has really gotten difficult because of the lack of in-person play. Um, I guess for me, I try to, I do one of two things, I would say. I either try to pick a game where um, there is a very rich story and atmosphere already kind of innately in the game, like Shadows of Estrin, for example. Um or I try to keep really good open communication with my players and what it is that they want and what it is that they're looking for. And then I try to accommodate that. Um, and, and if you have a group of people that you're comfortable with, it's easy enough to do. You know, if everyone is feeling derpy and wants to play Bury Mary and and play freaking 
you know, a zombie chef or a, a pair of Italian hands that just cooks like random objects and shit, like <laughs> do, do it, but just, you know, be on the same page with your players yeah. and create together. So I think, I think creating an atmosphere, it's also not just the role of the DM. It takes buy-in from the players too. Um, because something is only horrific if people are afraid, right? So you have to be willing to take those chances and, um, you know, grab those leads and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just try to be very descriptive with words and stuff. And I, I feel that the descriptive imagery helps with atmosphere too. Yeah, no, and it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I wish I had gotten a chance to do, but again, haven't been able to because of COVID and all that is um, in my, my home 5e game, our DM had a little speaker that he would just put on the top of the DM screen and would play like really quiet background music. Yeah. I would have loved to do that for Ugh. like, for like good society or some yeah, other games. I know. But it just will not work over a it, do- it doesn't. I've tried it, right? Because like I said, Esterin has uh, four albums right now that are out that are associated with the game. And even in the books, sometimes it'll suggest a particular soundtrack for a particular scene. And um, man, there have been several moments where I have thought of and picked specific music that I just get an image with a scene that we're going over. And... I, God, I wish, I wish it was the same. And I wish I could, you yeah. know, use that to help create even more of an atmosphere, even more of a, you know, intense moment. Um, but we tried a couple times and it's just, you know, you're like, oh, it's echoey and oh, I'm not hearing it well. And it's like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. At some point the connection just gets weird and right. you're like, I'm hearing the music and not the people and all right. of that shit. Well, never mind, because I know what it sounds like and it's beautiful. So screw you guys. <laughs> Feel it in your heart, man. <laughs> so what would your advice be for someone that wants to get into DMing or has been uh, yeeted upon the position of DM of the group, but doesn't really know where to start or what to, you know, start with. Hmm. Well, so first of all, I feel like it it can certainly feel like a daunting task. You know what I mean? Um, Especially if you've never done it before, especially if you've never role-played before. Um, My best advice though, would be whoever it is that you're close with, if you have a close group of friends, or even if you just have like a few best friends or a few acquaintances or whatever, whoever it is that you have that connection and investment to role play with those people. They don't even have to be role players because role playing is kind of a medium by which you create stronger bonds and connections to one another. And who, and who doesn't like, who doesn't like, you know, being the things that they can't be or exploring the things that they can only dream of doing. Um, If you have a great group of friends that you have a good connection with and just a smidge of creativity uh, and, you know, courage, um, role play with those people. And, And worst case scenario, like nobody likes it and that's fine. There's no harm, no foul, you know, because guess what? You're still all great friends and you can do whatever you do normally. Um, but best case scenario is you all are introduced to this new incredible um, opportunity. And just like just like anything grows with skill, 
um, role-playing is the same. You know, the more that you do it, the more that you practice it, not just DMing, but even being a player, the better that you get at it. And the more, the deeper you want to go, the more challenging things you want to explore and do. Um, so if you can do that with a group of close friends and all grow and do that together, man, that is, uh, that is chef kiss. Like that's the epitome of what it's all about. So, um, that would be my advice. Like just grab your friends and be like, guys, like, let's try this. It sounds fun and go for it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And if, if you're someone that's been, um, a player a lot, but is now new to DMing, you'll be surprised at how much you like uh, personally, a lot of what I learned about DMing, I learned from being a player. Yeah. I think all of us for the most part, usually start as a player, not everybody, but, um, yeah, I mean, being a DM is being a player. It's just having a bunch of characters basically. So I, that's why when we played your first good society game, Sarah, and I played, um, the Baroness, uh, Baroness Claire Dumont, I was like, this is my first time gender bending. Like, this is my first time playing a female. And Amber was like, no, it's not, dude. You fucking DM for years. Like, you've played tons of female characters. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true, huh? Okay. All right. Yeah, never mind. (laughs) And then it didn't feel like such a daunting task. And I I would like to say, in my humble opinion, I thought I can crush it. So fucking absolutely. (laughs) Fucking queen of the starving artists over here. That's so good. The stale bagels and old wine the one remaining servant (laughs) so good fucking alfred alfred and his katanas trimming the hedges (laughs) this is one this is another weird one but kind of falls into the the last one was the biggest blunder as a dm you can remember Mm. i think child aggro sorry i just had to lock my kid out (laughs) i'm a good dad it's fine my biggest blunder um That's a tough question. I think, I think my biggest blunder that I can think of was also somewhat a really good growing and learning experience for me. So, um, it was with my home group with shadows of Esterin. And as you have all heard before, and as I've mentioned before, shadows of Esterin is a very storytelling and role-playing forward game. Um, and some of the themes in Esterin are very dark. Some of them are very graphic. Um, and uh, if you have a lot of investment and buy-in into your character, Esterin is definitely a game where you can have some emotional bleed. You know what I mean? Um, you know, torture, um, like sexual assault. Like these are things that have come up in the campaign that I've played. And of course I'm always open with my players about these things before I introduce them, but it, it can be heavy. Right. So, uh, at one point, one of my players came to me and they said, Hey, um, I'm honestly feeling like really, really like depressed and emotionally exhausted because of, because of this game, you know, because not because of the game, but because of this character and it's becoming too much for me can we take a little bit of a break from this campaign? And they posed the idea that we continued playing Shadows of Estrin, 
but that we played another campaign. And um, in doing so, it gave them the opportunity to play a character that was not so melancholy and so um, emotional and that kind of stuff. And it allowed them to have a reprieve from kind of what they were feeling. And now what we do is both of those campaigns actually take place in the same same universe, the same world at the same time. They're just in different places and different events. So it's really, really cool because if we feel things are getting really heavy or if we get to a point where the storyline has a natural climax, we can take a reprieve and we can hop over to the other campaign and say, hey, in the past several months, what has this group been doing and how has that impacted the world? You know, so. Um, so I would say partially inflicting that on a player, um, it didn't feel good, you know, uh, but what did feel good was that the player was open about it and that I learned and grew from that and that we were able to use that as a learning experience. So um, it was a blunder, but it was also a really good opportunity too. Um, and I, man, I learned a lot as a, as a GM, you know what I mean? So yeah, no, that's, and that's huge, especially because your player was willing and open to, to kind of come talk to you about that. And I think that's yeah. a very yeah. important thing to be able to do as a DM is to be like, Hey, like, please tell me if something's going on or whatever. And, yeah, it, it, it is. It's a big thing. And that's like, and that's some real shit. Like, I'm not saying that like other stuff isn't real, but like, it's one thing to say like, Oh, I don't like, um, you know, well, I, I'll use Jess. I'll use Jess as an example here because we're all friends and stuff. Jess hates zombies. Like zombies are like a no go for Jess. She's not like your cute zombies that you like, but like <laughs> you know the zombies that like shamble and move in jerky ways and eat brains and that kind of stuff. She doesn't like that stuff, right? And that's totally fine. And being a respectful GM and a respectful player means helping to um, accommodate that as best as you can. But even that even as real of a situation as that is, it's one isolated incident that's still within that realm of role-playing and the imagination and like, uh, like fantasy. But if a player comes to you and they're like, my life, like I am feeling depressed and my emotional state is being damaged because of this. That's fucking big. That's a huge deal. You know what I mean? That's not like a one specific thing. That's like a man, I'm putting an X card on this game for a second on this character because I'm too emotionally invested and it's causing problems in my real life, you know? So, um, so yeah, that was a, that was a blunder, but that was also, like I said, a, a good learning opportunity too. And it all worked out amazing. I mean, we're all still playing and we're yeah. just more aware of it now. So and now you have two great sets of characters. To yeah. And now we have two amazing campaigns. So there's nothing wrong with it. And it's great to see this player play two completely different characters. So, <laughs> so. sometimes you learn from the weirdest stuff and it comes out in like the best possible way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So. So we're getting to about that point in the recording time where, <laughs> where, where Christian and I swapped to the the really quick pivot questions, which I didn't write down his whole fancy explanation, but basically they're really quick questions where you answer with the first honest thing that comes to your mind. Like what just, turns you on? I fucking <laughs> I'll start with that because I rephrase that question because I hate it. What well, is the, what well, the question Sarah, if you must know. You, I'll start doing What turns me on? <laughs> what the question is meant to ask, and we'll start with this, is what gets you ready to create and what inspires you? Yes. The things that get me ready to create and the things that inspire me are 
my emotional state that my emotional state heavily influences my creativity. And even within that, what kind of things I create and what kind of things I think of. I remember uh, there was a period in my life where um, I was having a really rough time. I had gone through some, you know, difficult things, made some poor choices, blah, blah, blah. Won't get too into it. But um, I felt like I was at rock bottom and I spent a lot of time when that happened creating and coming up with ideas for shadows of Esterin. In fact, I remember I would go to, uh, I'd go to the gym and, um, my kids would have a couple hours in like the kid center every day. So I'd go, I do my workout, you know, shower. And then I would sit in this little like alcove that they had in their lobby. And it just had this big giant window. And it just looked out onto this big, like green field and this tree line. And I remember, especially on days that it would rain, um, I would sit down and sometimes I would play soft music while I read the books and I would just look outside and I would just think and things would just come to me. And man, that got the creative juices flowing yeah. for sure, for sure. So, um, but it's not all melancholy stuff too. I mean, sometimes you see um, something super exciting or you see like a beautiful sunset or something like that. And you're like, man, this would be such an incredible thing to incorporate in a game like I experienced this thing in real life and it had this profound effect on me so maybe I can try to emulate that and try to facilitate that for other people that haven't experienced it in real life via a role-playing game does that make sense yeah no no I get that it's, it's so. like one of those things where it's like um when you when you write something you have a specific like song going through your head and you're like how do I get the feelings of this song yeah yep I, ha I had that too with a song Sometimes with songs, it'll happen too, so. All right. <laughs> These are two that go in combination with each other, and I love them. What is your favorite word, and what is your least favorite word? Um, this might be a cop-out, but, I mean, you said, fuck that, I love words, or something like that, <laughs> or I love language. Yeah, my instinct was, no, yeah. words, good, fuck off. Yeah. So I think for me, I don't think I have a least favorite word. I would say any word that is intentionally hurtful or offensive um, is not good. So like racial epithets and stuff like that. That's not, that's, I don't like those words because they are hurtful and mean and don't have value. So don't like those words. Uh, but my favorite word, hmm. I'm going to go, I'm going to get a little mushy and philosophical with you. And I'm going to say, um, I would say, so probably love would be the best word. I think love can be a very powerful word when you use it and you, when you tell someone that you love them or that you love something, it conveys a very deep, like the deepest thing that we can feel as human beings, you know, um, it conveys feelings of empathy and compassion and understanding or even if you don't understand, just like I said, empathizing, sharing pain, sharing joy, um, all of those things can be expressed with the word love. So I love the word love. That would be my favorite word, I would say. No, oh, fuck yeah, that's awesome. So. Uh, what sound do you like? Like, what's your favorite sound? Hmm, my favorite sound. Oh, this is, okay, so this is might sound a little bit weird, but if anybody is like a gym buff or enjoys working out there is something to be said for the sound of like 
weights clanging together. Like whether it's just like pushing two plates together on a barbell or throwing the dumbbells back up on a, on a steel rack or anything like that, like a weight stack that hits the stack every time you do a rep. Um, that's a, that I love that. I love that sound because it's been such an important part of my life since I was a small kid. Um, that for me, that's my go-to that's always been, if I've ever been like the most stressed out in my life, the thing that I go to is exercise because number one, it's good for you. Like it's actually healthy. And then number two, it has a, uh, it has that, um, release of endorphins and all that good stuff. So I love the sound of fucking weights banging together. It's great. <laughs> no, that's so good. Cause then it also like automatically, um, it gives you that, like you hear it, it reminds you of, like the satisfaction after a good workout or like that you're doing better and better. It's, it's Pavlov's bell, bro. Yeah. It really is right. Like you do, you associate that sound with that, that feeling that euphoria. And then before you know it, it's like you hear that when you walk into the gym and you smell the iron and sweat. people's shitty perfume and sweat, and then you hear that noise and you recognize the familiar layout and you're just walking into the locker room or walking upstairs, you're already like, fuck yeah, like I'm ready. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're like so, pumped it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Sometimes so, smells in the gym aren't great, but you know, it's fine. It's fine. And that's, that's how gyms work. Uh, I know I go to, I go to gyms. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, Sarah's like, I'm fucking swole. I get it. I yes, get it. Ooh. I just hide it all under baggy <laughs> sleeves. You can't tell. I'm definitely buffing tough. Uh, anyway. I'm shredded, baby. <laughs> I don't know what my eight pack looks like. Uh, <laughs> nice. But, uh, enough about me. Uh, what, what sound do you hate? Like what's your least favorite sound? Or just the one that gets on your nerves? Hmm. I think, um, I think hearing people in pain makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that a lot. Um, and I deal with that a lot for my job because I'm a firefighter, EMT, paramedic. So I deal with people that are in physical and emotional distress all the time, um, especially children. That's, that's difficult. And I don't, I don't like that. Um, it's, it's a good sound in the sense that it tells you something is wrong and that you need to fix something, but it's, but just seeing another person suffer in pain is not good. I don't like that sound. That's a bad sound. So. No, it's, it's, it's legit. Yeah. I wish I said like, uh, I don't like the sound of like, but it's not that simple. <laughs> no, no. You, these are honest questions. No, I actually like that sound. Yeah, that's a little satisfying, actually. <laughs> Sometimes I shave my head um, and I'm just like. <laughs> and I'm gonna finish it off with the funnest, the funnest of the questions because I enjoy it. Everyone enjoys it. It's the most DMs after dark question you could ask. What is your favorite curse word? She. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're asking Jess, it would be oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, those are my favorite. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. This, oh. The the tribal is patented. S H I I I I I I I. And then I will I will do the actual wrap up. Is there anything else you want people to know about you that I haven't asked you yet? Man, just uh, you know, I would say just um, just like in role playing games, it's it's all about character growth, and that's true in real life. You know, we uh, all of the things that we experience, all of the things that we 
um, see all of the interactions we have with people. They're all opportunities for us to grow and become better versions of ourselves. Um, so I would say always, always think about that. And like, if you can, if you have the energy, if you have the will to do it, put active thought and effort into that because it's an, it's an endeavor that, um, it will always pay dividends like a hundred percent. So, um, yeah, always be willing to grow and learn and, uh, in your games and in real life also. So that's it. Fuck yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. And happy, uh, happy gaming, like, like us, all that good stuff. Come see what we do. Yeah. Let us yes. know, let us know how we do what we do when we do it. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can find us on all the social medias at DMs After Dark. Uh, and you can email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. We also stream every other Friday at twitch.tv slash dmsafterdark at sometime around 6 30 p.m. EST. Never exactly ish. on the mark. It's ish. It's fine. It's ish. fine. We're fine. We're good. That's our coin phrase 6 30 p.m. ish. Ish. Yeah, it's ish. fine. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and you know, the good thing about the Meet the DMs is I don't have to apologize because I'm not sorry. Happy game. We're not sorry. Wow. Wow. We're not sorry. Wow. Wow. No, I'm not sorry. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.